Um, I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. You and your spouse are in an argument. I know, right? It's almost impossible scenario to even think about, but you're in an argument, and the argument has so devolved that you're no longer talking about the thing that you were arguing about. Now you're talking about how to argue better. Y'all know what I'm talking about at all? I got a couple wives in the, in the room laughing because they actually know what I'm talking about right now. You're not talking about the subject anymore. Now you're talking about how you should argue better and why your spouse is so stupid because they're not saying it the way that you want it to be said and they're not understanding. You guys know what I'm talking about. Now it's just totally devolved away from the thing that you're wanting to talk about and now you're talking about something totally different and instead of having some productive result out of what's occurring right now, you just give each other the silent treatment. Who lives in a mansion in here? couple of us live in a mansion. Um, there's only probably one hallway in your house. You guys know the awkward moment where you're passing each other in the hallway because you didn't time it right or whatever, like you're at the opposite ends of the house or whatever, and you have that awkward situation where you, you have to pass each other in the one hallway that you have or in the like one living space that you have if you have multiple hallways in your house, and you do it as if you're strangers. Oh, excuse me, ma'am, sorry. It's like you've never... like you. I walk up, ma'am, are you still watching this on TV? I'd like to change that if, if you're okay with that. I don't know who you are. What, what is that in us where we pretend like the other person isn't somebody we've ever met or known before? Is this peace? Is this unity? No, absolutely not. Let me give you maybe a possible resolution. My dearest, I love you, and I'm so sorry for what I've done. I realize that I wasn't being kind or considerate or compassionate in what I said. So here's what I've done. I've sent the kids away. They're either in their room or because you have wonderful you know, parents or grandparents in your life, you sent them to their house, and they're watching the show. They're eating pizza. They're away for a little bit. So I just wanted to show you how sorry I am. So I set a candlelit dinner, and I ordered out your favorite food, and we're going to sit down, and, and we're going to talk together and have a kind and compassionate, productive conversation because I love you, and I want to show you how sorry I am for what I've done. Does that sound peaceful? Yes. Yes, it should. That resolution, that restoration, I think we should refer to that as constructive confrontation. Constructive confrontation. It's so much more productive than just saying, hey, babe, I'm sorry I did that thing that made you really upset and really mad. I'm sorry that you felt that way about what I said. I'm sorry that you got mad at what I said. See, what I just described is far more (laughs) impactful and far more peaceful and far more unifying than just what I just said, right? And so what we want to aim after is constructive confrontation. And I think many of us are conditioned to believe that peace is about no conflict at all and that unity is about no conflict at all. Therefore, confrontation becomes like a dirty word and it's always something bad. It's never something that can be good or turned for good. And so we have to avoid it with everything that's within us. But remember, this is not the biblical definition of peace. The biblical definition of peace is not so much the absence of something as it is the presence of a relationship. First with God. First I I have peace with God and then because I have peace with God, I I can have peace with others. So that vertical relationship, me and God, then impacts what I do horizontally. And so 
Peace is not the absence of something, but it's the presence of a relationship. But here's the reality. Relationships can sometimes be messy. And you know why they're messy? Because I'm a part of it. Because I'm a part of that relationship. And the relationships that you have, you're a part of those relationships. And so things can get messy. So one of the skills that I think that we as a church need to cultivate is being peacemakers through the avenue of constructive confrontation. Because where there is relationship, there will inevitably be conflict. Conflict in a relationship is as natural as the friendship. It's a part of, it's a part of uh, being vulnerable, being true and honest with somebody, showing them who you really are and them showing you who they really are. That is what a relationship necessitates and there will be conflict within those moments. And so our church community can become a place where we get to practice what it looks like to be Christ-like, where we develop those relational skills aiming after constructive confrontation in stark contrast to the church and what the Bible teaches and what Jesus shows us is our world. Labels, mischaracterizations, passive-aggressive comments, scorched earth policy. It's all about vindication and making the other person look stupid so that my base will feel really good about what I just said. And, And there's no construction within that. There's nothing productive or any results produced. Rather, it just makes my echo chamber feel a lot better about what I just said and makes them feel even more angered about what I've just said. And there's nothing that gets produced other than frustration back and forth on either side. This is not what the church of Jesus Christ is about. We're not about vindication or judgment. We are about construction, production, peace, and growth. And if we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ, then we have to figure out what it is to have constructive criticism. Sorry, constructive <laughs> constructive confrontation. I was on the world's end. I apologize. I'm back now. I'm back now. So let's talk through some principles. I told you last week we're going to get really practical this week. Super practical about what it means to actually strive for unity and strive for peace, as Ephesians told us last week. And so I want to talk through some principles, maybe some that you already recognize and know. So maybe this morning I'll just be reminding you of some of the things that we should be walking in. But here's the thing. I know that sometimes when we teach or preach, especially when I sit under what pastor says, yeah, I knew that, but I wasn't living it. Yeah, I've heard that, but I hadn't internalized it. And so this morning I want to get super practical and talk about some principles that I think the Bible lays out in order for us to handle conflict, whether it's in our marriage or with our kids or coworkers or neighbors, whoever it might be, another church member, whatever it could be. So let's walk through some of these this morning. First off, I want to uh, encourage you to imagine another perspective. This is kind of like step one. We're going to walk through some of the principles of the Bible. Imagine another perspective. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. For you were once what? Darkness. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. You and I have to remember that we were once darkness. And I know for a lot of us, that's hard to imagine because maybe you got saved at five years old. 
It might be easier for some of those in the room who got saved later on to really recognize and remember who you were. Or maybe you're like me, and it's not so hard to remember, even though you were saved at five years old, what you still were until you really got serious about your faith. So we were once darkness, therefore we should have the imaginative ability to recognize what we used to be and see that in somebody else. We should have the ability to, through empathy and through an imagination, examine what they might have thought or what they might have um, perceived the situation to be like Because when I do that, what I'm doing is I'm not assuming that I've got it all figured out and everything is correct on my end. When I imagine another perspective, I'm giving credence to the other person that might be in the confrontation and the conflict that I'm in. That alone creates a bridge in my mind for me to be able to communicate with these people on a really productive level. We have to exercise this idea, this imaginative idea of another perspective because even if we don't believe it, Even if we don't think the other person was being super charitable in what they said or what they did, this is a great exercise for our own hearts to begin to be softened to even think about the conversation that we might have to have. So we have to imagine another perspective. Further, love thinks the best of someone else, doesn't it? And if I want to show love and display love and be like Jesus, then I'm going to assume that the other person loves me as well. And so I'm going to be charitable. 1 Corinthians 13 says it this way, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always what? Trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. It always trusts and it always hopes. Love is assuming the best of somebody else and will be proven otherwise in the moment. We don't go into a conflict or a confrontation assuming the worst of someone else. We are charitable and we expect and assume the same thing back for us. Okay, imagine another perspective. Number two, self-assess. Luke chapter 6, verses 41 through 42. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is so smart. (laughs) I love it. I love it. What a great teaching. Just look at yourself first. Don't look at the small, minute thing that you're inevitably going to see in somebody else. Yes, everybody is messy and messed up. So inevitably, if you're looking for something, you're going to find it. But have you looked in the mirror lately? So take the plank out of your own eye first. We have to realize that we need grace and that we are not perfect. And so our working assumption shouldn't be pride and conceit. It should be empathy and compassion. Therefore, I need to examine my own self. I need to pray, I need to spend time looking at my motives and my mindset when I did or said that thing or whatever or when I responded to the thing that was done or said to me and the Spirit will begin to enlighten me and propel me towards the truth about myself and about the situation. Do you believe that the Spirit tells the truth? Good. Then he's going to tell you the truth about you sometimes. 
And that's okay. And that's okay. Because what we're after is not me being right and being vindicated in this situation. What we're after is constructive confrontation where I or both of us in the confrontation grow together to become more like Christ. And so this will arm me with truth and specificity when I go into the conversation. You remember back to the scenario that I gave you where the resolution was, was occurring. You have two options. You can say, I'm sorry I did that thing that made you so crazy and made you so mad. I can't believe you did that. You know what I'm saying? But I, but I apologize either way. Or we could be really specific about the things that we said, the things that we did. And that shows much more honor and much more self-examination, um, much more uh, self-awareness that, that I can come to you and say the thing that I did wrong and own up to that thing as opposed to just casting out some general labels about being wrong or whatever. See, that moves the ball forward much more because it recognizes the thing that I did so we can move past it. Whereas if I just speak in generalities and don't ever really talk about the truth of the thing, we're never going to go anywhere. Because it's not really ever my fault. It was your fault that you felt that way about the thing that I did. (laughs) And that's not true forgiveness. That's not true construction in confrontation. So we need to self-assess. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives to show us the truth about who we are. The next step is absorb. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verses 7 and 8. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Now, this is a pretty specific context, right? This is about lawsuits and how people of the church are not supposed to be going outside of the church to handle conflict. It's a very specific context, but I want you to see the principle that's embedded in here. Why not be wronged? Why not be cheated? It's for your glory and for your honor if you can absorb someone else's offense, if you can overlook and move past the things that they might have said or done to you. In fact, for those who are mature, a lot of conflict ends right here. I mean, doesn't it? Those of you who've had a spouse for a long time or you know, had some really great friendships for a long time, you recognize that a lot of conflict ends right here because it doesn't have to go any further. Because I, I'm mature and I, I'm able to see that they didn't mean that or they were tired. or I, Exactly, I go through the steps, imagining their perspective, imagining what they went through. And so I can just overlook the thing that they said or that they did. We should be like Paul and practice self-control and humility and patience. Paul was very patient with this church, <laughs> the First Corinthian church. If you've ever read this letter as a whole, you're like, oh my gosh, he's like, he's like slapping them with the pen. I mean, it's crazy. So, I mean, you, you've got to recognize that Paul is showing so much patience with them. He's dealing with them so kindly and so lovingly, yet in the truth. And he's absorbing a lot of things Uh, that they have probably said about him and to him. We need to be like that. So how does that play out in our real lives? Not every Facebook thing needs a comment. (laughs) Not everything needs your reaction. Not every situation needs your teachiness and preachiness as if you've got it all figured out and know better than everybody else. Now some things do. Some things do. But, but listen here, this is really important. The times that need your comments, the times that need your 
constructive confrontation. The best context in which those take place is a relationship in dinner or coffee, not keyboards and anonymity. So where there are offenses that you can overlook, do it. It's to your glory. It's to your honor. And it honors Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, where it can't be overlooked, where it can't be, uh, where a pattern of offense can't be absorbed, this is not an excuse for the people who want to avoid confrontation altogether. Well, I'm just going to absorb it for the Lord. <laughs> like you shy away, like you never want to, you know, never want to. I'm just going to absorb it because then that makes you unhealthy. And that makes you a bottle of frustration, and you lash out at the people closest to you, not to the actual thing that's occurring. You lash out at the relationships, not at the specific situation, and that's no good. That doesn't move the ball forward at all. So if you're a person like me who doesn't like confrontation and makes your eyes sweat, then listen, this is not a command for you not to mess with a confrontation. That's not what this is. This is an encouragement to do what you can in order to love somebody well in the relationship. But where it can't be overlooked, we then have to consider the next thing, which is, is it worth it? Is this confrontation worth it? Is what I have to say worth going through the steps of communicating to somebody my frustration, my hurt feelings, my whatever they might be? First Corinthians 10, chapter, sorry, First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. I want you to catch, hold on, go back. I want you to catch this. Do you notice that these are in quotes? I have the right to do anything. Paul is quoting the letter that was written to him, and then he's responding to them. They're saying, I have the right to do anything. I want you to make sure that you're you're following along with this. Paul's response is, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do everything, but not everything is beneficial constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of who? See, not every feeling that I have in this moment needs sharing. Not every anger or frustration needs to boil to the top when we have our conversation. Not every point that I want to be addressed needs addressing. We have to bear in mind that we care about the growth and the life of the person that we're in conflict with. See, relationships are more important than being right. And it's hard to live that way, isn't it? Because it feels good to be right. It feels really good when you say that. Honestly, it feels really good when you're like uh, thinking about what the confrontation might be like or playing back a confrontation that you had. And you're like imagining what that person is going to say or what they did say. And you're like, oh, but I got him with this line. You know what I'm saying? And you stay for like 20 minutes thinking about it. Like your cheeks get all flush. You're like, you're like ready to go right now. You're ready to fight this person. But is that what constructive confrontation is all about? And does that honor the other person the way that Paul calls us to? No, it doesn't because relationships are more important than being right. See, we love justice so much. And we love being right. I mean, just look at the TV. What, what shows are still running? You know what I'm saying? Everything's about justice and being right. But is that more important than the person? Is that more important than the relationship that we have? See, what I'm saying and how I say it 
it ought to produce unity and peace, not division and strife. So we have to weigh out what I'm, what I'm going to say and what I'm thinking about the situation and how I'm going to communicate with this person. Again, if we can't, if we can't absorb the thing if, and if it needs to move into the next level, then we should confront. Romans 12, 17 through 19. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Pay attention to this line right here. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. So the principle is to realize that we can only do our part. We can only do our part. And, and the idea of as far as it depends on you is really a sliding scale that depends on who you are. As far as that, some people have a really quick trigger. And that's just how they're wired, and that's just who they are. Okay? That's fine. Some people have a, a trigger that's really slow to pull. And that's fine, too. So whether or not you're a quick-tempered person or a slow-tempered person, the point of it is that we can only do our part. And if there is a confrontation that needs to happen, we should make sure it matters before we do it. As far as it depends on you. Again, if we've walked through these first few steps, then the confrontation that we're about to have isn't going to be a big deal because we're doing it with the Lord. We're doing it with him, with him on our side. We're paying attention to where we are. We're trying to overlook as much as we can and give the benefit of the doubt to somebody else. But listen, sometimes a confrontation needs to happen. And so God has given us the steps. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, here's what it should look like. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Man, and I would imagine the thing that stood out to you in this was pagans and tax collectors. Because it does to me. That's the first thing that my mind goes to. Okay, so when we get to the end of the confrontation, that's how I have to treat this fool. Because we're not quick to stress what Jesus stresses within this passage. Jesus stresses restoration. That's what Jesus is about. That's why we don't go to the church immediately within this step-by-step -step process. We go to our brother or our sister first. And if, it's, if that's it, great, you've won your brother. Restoration has happened. But I think what, when we look at stuff like this, we're like, pagan and tax collector, man. Jesus is hardcore. I love it. Because that, I don't know, that, that like helps our just, our inflated sense of justice and makes us really feel good about ourselves when we have to go into a confrontation because then Jesus is giving us an out, so we might as well get to that out as quickly as we can. And that's not what Jesus is stressing. He's stressing restoration all throughout this process. The whole point is that we would win our brother or sister over. That our relationship would be repaired. 
So if a confrontation needs to happen, there is a process that we are to walk through. There is a way that we are supposed to move forward. And Jesus has laid it out. These are not just great principles for the church and for church people, but just in life. These are great principles. Imagine that. The maker of relationships would understand how relationships work best. Imagine, right? He lays out this process for us, not as just a suggestion. I mean, this is it. This is how confrontation ought to work. It ought to work within the framework of accountability where the, personal inter, the interpersonal relationship is not working anymore. And have you ever noticed that that's, what, that's the next step? It's accountability. Because I know myself, if I get into a, an argument with somebody and I tell somebody the events later, and I'll be like, yeah, I can't believe they said that either. You know what I'm saying? They're crazy. And I was just like sitting there so quietly and I barely even said anything wrong. You know? They're just nuts. See, and I think that this is the point. Jesus wants to introduce accountability into the situation to keep you guarded as well as the other person. So there's nothing wrong with this process. We want to be like, oh my gosh, we've got to get somebody else involved. Well, of course we should, because we want to restore both of your relationship. Of course we would get somebody else involved. Of course we would go and talk to our spiritual leaders and want to get them involved. Of course we'd want accountability in the way that we communicate with one another because we want the relationship to be restored. We're seeking unity and peace. These aren't just suggestions. This is really the way, the deep way the universe is supposed to work. Really. This is what Jesus is showing us. And so this comes to our final point. Be eager to restore. Be eager to restore. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you, uh, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Isn't that beautiful? If someone's caught in sin, you should restore them gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Here's the thing, though. We'll always imagine that someone else needs our forgiveness. Much harder to recognize when I need someone's forgiveness. Because again, we all want justice until it's us on whom the justice is pointed. And then what do we want? Mercy. We want mercy when justice is pointed at us. But sometimes it's us who need to be restored. And even that thought ought to quiet our hearts and our minds a little bit from the reaction that, oh, I'm so ready to... It ought to quiet our hearts and minds because now we're ready to communicate um, with this understanding that I don't have it all figured out. I'm not always right. And I recognize that maybe sometimes I've done stuff that might offend or hurt someone else's feelings. So, yeah, I'm I'm ready to hear what you have to say. That's a much better perspective, a much better way to enter into a conversation. Be eager to restore. Now, at the end of a confrontation, the person is restored, the forgiveness has been said back and forth. I wonder how many of you have thought, well, I didn't get to say everything I wanted to say. Yeah, they're restored, but not how I wanted it to happen. See, this, this is a part of the point. There's this insidious thing within us called sin, this insidious thing that wants to elevate and propel us above our station. 
and make us far more important and our opinions far more important than they actually are. And Jesus is here telling us through the whole scripture that you need to relax. You don't have it all figured out. I had to die for you as well. And so be eager to restore. Be eager to restore. So our goal should be constructive confrontation, not vindication. Listen, that's, that's God's job. God will take care of all that in the end. Our job is to uh, uh, aim at relationship, aim at construction and growth in the other person and in myself. I mean, can you just imagine a church filled with people committed to constructive confrontation rather than quietly running away? I mean, why do people leave churches? Why do people leave any relationship? It's not because everything's perfect and wonderful right now and it's just too perfect and I can't handle it. I've got to run away. No, it's because there's some sort of conflict or some sort of confrontation that needs to happen. I mean, imagine a church filled with people who are committed both to God, for, I mean, to God first, obviously, because that's where our true peace comes from. But I'm so committed to God that, I, that that in turn commits me to you. Because I'm so committed to you, I want to have a, a confrontation that's going to go somewhere. It's not just going to hang in the air where you think I'm mad at you and I think you're mad at me and it's just horrible. No, we want to move towards something, something constructive. We would be a community of peace if we act like that. We'd be a community of peacemakers whose working assumption was that if I offend you or if you offend me, I'm going to come talk to you about it. And that's okay. And all of you in the room who are not confrontation people like me, your palms are starting to sweat, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> that sounds so terrifying. I don't want to do confrontation. But listen, this is, this is the whole point. If, if I'm committed to you and you're committed to me, yeah, the, the moment might be awkward and the conversation might be difficult, but it's for our benefit and it moves us forward and it grows us to become more like Jesus. Listen, I know that he has the, you know, the, the uh, Renaissance-like era painting of him as kind of a you know, beautiful surfer dude and he just looks peaceful and quiet all the time. But, but I guarantee you, Jesus was pretty hardcore and he had confrontations with people, not just to beat them over the head. That was never his, his purpose. We had confrontations with people in order to point them towards truth in love. And if Jesus models that for us, then how much more should... I mean, Jesus told Peter to get behind me, Satan. Like, come on. Now listen, husbands and wives don't tell each other that when you go home today. It'd be a horrible idea. Jesus is allowed to say that, not you. But I'm just telling you, he modeled for us that confrontation is okay, and it's another form of communication that can move our relationship forward. Confrontation is not devoid of the relationship. It happens within the context of a relationship. And if I assume that if I offend you, whether knowingly or unknowingly, you're going to come speak to me, man, how much do you love me? That's awesome. I really appreciate the fact that you would be that brave to come speak to me that way. You must really love me. See how upside down that feels, though? It's exactly what Jesus is pointing us towards a community of peace, of peacemakers, where this becomes our practice ground. Because when we leave the church and when we leave these people, this is not the way the world operates. And so we have to carry these principles into our relationships 
outside of the church in order to become the peacemakers that Jesus called us to be. Now, here's a pro tip for, for those who uh, are, are thinking in their minds about you know, maybe some phone calls or coffees that you need to set up or maybe some frank conversations that you need to have this week or whatever it might be. Here's a pro tip. You're not the Holy Spirit. Um, so on the way home today, don't nudge your spouse and go, did you hear what Pastor said? <laughs> Just wondering if you heard him. Oh, you didn't? I'll, I'll play it for you right now. On the Listen, that's not going to go well. Because you're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts, not you. Your job might be to confront. But God is in the business of convicting hearts because he ultimately understands the truth. And he ultimately wants our peace more than even we want it. And because he wants our peace and our unity so much, he is going to convict hearts towards truth towards the rebuilding of relationships and towards peace. So you don't need to be somebody else's Holy Spirit. So we have to recognize, though, sometimes conflict and confrontation doesn't end with the peace or restoration that I was hoping for. And what do we do then? Well, if we've walked through these principles and we've been really honest and we've been really open with the Lord, and, and we've been praying, we've been self-examining, we've tried to absorb as much as we can in the conflict, or whatever it might be, as we've walked through these steps, we need to assess whether or not we have honored or dishonored our brother and sister. And if I can honestly say that I was obedient to Christ, then we do what Jesus says at the end of Matthew chapter 18. Then, then we can say, okay, I can see that this relationship is not going forward at all, we just need to sever ties. And then we don't need to be uh, vindictive people who hold and house that frustration forever and ever. That's what the scripture calls a, a root of bitterness. We don't want to allow that root of bitterness to fester and grow within us, where every time a person's name is mentioned, you just gotta, you just gotta spit. We don't want to allow that, that root of bitterness to fester and grow within us. We want to deal with that because that's not healthy for us. Whether or not they did the right thing, you can't control. And the more you try and control it, the more that you're assuming God's position, and you're a crummy God. I mean, I am, you are, we just are. And so when it doesn't go the way that we hoped or the way that we wanted, we just have to have confidence in the Holy Spirit that we did our part and we could do the best that we could do we say it all the time in discipleship. There's your part, there's their part, and there's God's part. Who's doing their part faithfully? God is. Okay? So you do the best to do your part. Your part. <laughs> do your best to do your part faithfully, was what I was trying to say. And then you just, you can't do somebody else's part. You can't. You can't do somebody else's part. And if you try to, if you try to extend yourself that way, or if you try to do God's part, you're going to be in trouble. It's going to be a problem. So, oh my gosh. So this week, this week, uh, here, here are maybe some, some ideas for you to do, uh, so, or some thoughts to have. Um, you might need to set up some coffee with somebody. 
There might be a time for you to have a, a phone call, conversation with somebody, for real. It might be time to text somebody that you haven't texted in a while um, to, to think about having a conversation with them to actually approach that confrontation that might, need have, that might have needed to have happened in the past. It might be time to wrestle with some of these principles for the purpose of peace and restoration, not so that I can say, well, I did all the things and now I can finally get rid of that relationship. That's, that's not the point. The point is that we should walk through these principles to restore one another. So, who do you have to call this week? Who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to text? And if not, awesome. Listen, your life doesn't have to be filled with conflict and confrontation. You might just have a, a really great season of life where there's nothing going on. Awesome, great. But I would encourage you, if that's the case, there might be a relationship that you need to lean into a little more. Because again, conflict is a part of relationship. Tension and hurt feelings and those things just are a part of the, it's a part of the process. It's a part of getting to know somebody well and understanding what jokes they like or don't like or what shows they like or don't like. Or You get what I'm trying to say. What things you can say or can't say. And so there, there will be conflict where there is relationships. So maybe if you don't have any conflict in your life, it's time to build some relationships with people and get really vulnerable and try to understand what they're like and who they are. And then you get to practice these steps and get to grow a whole new relationship. And God's going to bless you through that. I promise you, I promise you. Because when you do your part, others do their parts, and God does his. He produces this community of peace that we are after. So this week, keep this in your brain, Psalm 133, chapter 1. How beautiful and pleasant it is when brothers or people, when brothers dwell together in unity. It doesn't happen unless we try for it. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this church, and I thank you for the way that you offer us peace. You've done it through your son, through the forgiveness of sins. You came into our hearts when there was a lot of conflict against you. The scripture says that we were enemies towards you, and yet you died for us all the same. I praise you and I thank you that you love us that way, that you care for us like that, that even when we were far away, you came to us. I pray that that would be the kind of love that characterizes our relationships this week. I pray that we would be the kind of people who go out of our way to attempt unity and peace, even when it's a little bit painful and a little bit awkward and a little bit difficult. I pray that we would be the kinds of people who love like you loved, who go after those who are far from us. I pray that you begin to show us, Holy Spirit, would you even now, maybe as you're just sitting there praying, just begin to think about, are there any relationships that need restoring in my life? What are the faces or the names that are coming to your mind? Listen, that's not by accident. That's the Holy Spirit informing you, speaking to you, moving you towards constructive confrontation. Maybe there's not a relationship that you can restore. Maybe that's just not going to happen because of whatever reasons might exist. Ask God to deal with that root of bitterness that you might have. It's not healthy for you. It doesn't move you forward. It doesn't produce peace in your life. 
Spirit, would you show us what we need to do this week and how we can walk these principles, whether it's with our coworkers, our friends, or our spouses, or whoever it might be. And if we have none of this going on this week, praise God, thank you that you are working within us to produce peace in our own lives and then peace with others. We thank you that we have this unity thing right now in our lives, that things are harmonious and whole. Father, I pray for your protection. I pray for your provision this week. And I pray that you would move us towards this idea of a community of peace as we practice constructive confrontation. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.